there. Thanks for joining our church family at the cross. We pray that this message speaks to your soul and brings you many blessings. We want to take a second and make sure you stay up to date on all things the cross. So please head over to our website, thecross.family. Here is where you can subscribe to our newsletter, check out our ministries, and get plugged in. Okay, here's the latest message from the Cross Church. So today we will be carrying on with our series about love. And as you all know, we've been playing a very exciting little game every single week. I know you're on the edge of your seats where I throw out quotes or lyrics or whatever it is from a song or a poem. Let's be honest, it's been mostly lyrics from songs and I've got to help you out today. I've got, to, I've got to tell you what we're doing because today is so difficult. Honestly, it's a little unfair. I don't think anybody's going to get it. But having said that, though, in the first service, somebody got it before I even read it out, which is kind of mind-boggling. So I will tell you it's a song. It's a famous song. And um, if you get it right, you get a $15 gift card to Foxtail, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, a nice little new coffee shop close to my house. And uh, it's just a one-stop shop, really. You get yourself a little wrap with chicken. You get a coffee. You get a Jeremiah's ice cream. Put on 10 pounds. Life is good. Okay. Um, so here we go. Here are the lyrics. It's coming your way. And it says this. As long as the planets are turning, as long as the stars are burning, as long as your dreams are coming true, you better believe it, baby better believe it. it. Sounds like a journey song, doesn't it? I mean, it just feels so journey-ish-esque, but it ain't. Difficult song. The name of the guy that, that performs the song, the band, the name is a food. It's a food. Chicken. No, it's not Chicken McNugget. That sounds like a great band, but not, not it. Oh, oh, yes, yes. Meatloaf, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, it is Meatloaf. Well done. And it's the song, I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. Oh, no. No, I won't do that, baby. And um, let's get real. We're, uh, we're diving into love today and what godly love is. But the real question, the real question that all of humanity has been asking since the dawn of time, philosophers, scientists, professors alike, what is the don't do that in the song? What is it? No one knows. Meatloaf doesn't even know. I, I feel like I've got a little hint for us today. I think I know what the don't do that is. So we're going to climb into it. But let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. Um, that is also the title of my message today. I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 6. We're starting right at the top, and here we go. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long. It is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Love does not behave 
rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. And that is where we are going to stop today. We are going to hang out in verse 5, and it says, Love does not behave rudely, or rather, love is not rude. And uh, I believe that that's what Meatloaf was speaking about. I think he was saying, I'll do anything, but I won't be rude. Um, I don't think that's what he was talking about, but it's worth a shot nonetheless. Um, I will be very real with you when I say to you that this week, as we sort of turned the page and we got to this moment where we were going to talk about the next thing that love is, I saw that this was the one that popped up. And I don't know that I was as excited as I should be, right? Um, we've got such big things that we need to deal with. We've got such big things that we discuss. We've dived into all these things concerning love. And then all of a sudden you get to this next moment and it says, love is not rude. I'll be honest with you. I, I get don't murder, right? I, it's very reasonable. I get don't steal, um, I get, let's not uh, covet our neighbor's wife or our neighbor's life, but don't be rude. I mean, can't we keep one? I mean, can't we just, you know what I mean? Can't we keep that one? It just feels like in the grand scheme of things, keeping rudeness is the one I'd like to keep. And then for me, I go, is sarcasm rudeness? I mean, I think they're linked because I really don't want to go let go of sarcasm. But here we are in this moment and it almost seems medieval, right? This idea of don't be rude. It's like, really? Did we run out of other important things to talk about? And now we're actually talking about etiquette and rudeness. Um, as I look around in the culture and as I look around in society that we live in right now, I feel like the sort of standard of the day is all about expression. It's all about expressing yourself. That's what it's all about, especially when it comes to social media. It doesn't really matter how you express yourself. It doesn't matter how rude or how crude it is. If you throw something out there and it's authentic, you're cool and it's fine because at least you're authentic. And by authentic, I mean you really feel it or believe it in the moment you're expressing what you express. So in the context of all of this, it kind of feels very restricting when we then start to think through this idea of let's not be rude, or rather love does not behave rudely. It feels like everybody is pretty rude nowadays, and it feels like it's pretty acceptable. I wish I could say that it was different in the church, but unfortunately, I don't think it's very much different in the church. We come together on a Sunday morning. And we look great. We brush our hair, some of us, brush our teeth, some of us uh, look good. We change the way we speak to one another. We introduce different language into the vocab. We say words like hallelujah, God bless you, amen. We're making a whole bunch of commitments to praying for one another in the week. We say words like eagle, shadow, mountain, rose of Sharon, valley, right? It all changes. We then go home. And we switch the radio station back to the rock station because we listened to 88.3 on the way in. We're now going to listen to the different radio station as we go out. We go take a nap. We hop onto Facebook. And this is where it all falls apart, isn't it? Man, you were just excited about the Lord. You were going to pray for a whole bunch of different people. 
you're saying incredible things like hallelujah and amen. And now this person has had the absolute audacity to jump onto their Facebook page and make their political views known. Well, I tell you what, I'm going to let them have it. And there we go. And all of a sudden we are completely justified in our rudeness because we are simply expressing ourselves. I was uh, driving the other day. I found myself behind a car, and on the left-hand side of the car, there was a cross sticker, and I was like pretty pumped. I was excited. I'm like, hey, here we go. That's, that's us. Woo-woo. <laughs> and then uh, on the right-hand side, there was a sticker, and it said, President Joe Biden can go do something. I, I won't tell you what it said that he could go do. Um, I'm not fluent in American yet, but I don't think it was go take lunch or go to the movies. It seemed a little bit more crude than all that. The irony, of course, was that the cross was on the left, the crudeness was on the right. You do with that whatever you want to do with that. Um, and immediately I thought to myself, we need to put a disclaimer out there with these stickers. If you commit to putting one of these stickers from our church on your car, you're not allowed to put any other stickers on your car. It will just conflict the message maybe a little bit. But here we are, right? And it can feel a little confusing and it can feel a little restricting. I mean, we are grown-ups. We have freedom. I can tell you right now, I did not move from South Africa to America to be told I can't be rude. Seems like an, a right. It's my freedom to be rude if I want to be rude. So let's see what the Word has to say about this. And... Uh, I was convinced that I would find some backup from my boy, Paul, my man, Paul. He always agrees with me. Me and Paul always agree. So Galatians 5, verses 13 to 15, what does Paul have to say about rudeness? And he says this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Hallelujah. We're on the same page. Free to express myself, baby. Let's carry on. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. You know, there's always a catch, isn't there? Rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. And in this incredible verse, in this incredible piece of Scripture, Paul is saying, yes, brothers and sisters, we have freedom. Christ has given us freedom. We were slaves and we were bound and we were in a place where we had no choice. But Christ has come and through His great, incredible love, He has set us free. But here's the thing, though. He has set us free so that we can be an example to others. He has set us free so that we can proclaim the gospel to others. He has set us free so that we can showcase His great love. I, uh, I was thinking about this um, as I was preparing. And, you know, right in the beginning of this series, we said that the greatest commandment is that we shall love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength. And then the second is like it. We shall love our neighbor as ourself. We then went to great lengths to kind of speak about the fact that we are not capable of loving God without God's love. 
We are not capable of loving one another without God's love. We are not even capable of truly loving ourselves without God's love. It is God's love towards us that fuels all the other love that goes out. He makes the first move. He takes the first step across the dance floor. He makes the first phone call. He sends the first text message. He is the one that makes the first move. And as we experience His love, His love transforms us from the inside. And then slowly it starts to work its way to the outside. Some of you are still in that phase where the transformation is on the inside. We have seen no sign of outward transformation yet, but we are believing and we know it's coming, right? But it's an inside-out change. I want to say something to you, and this is the tweet for today's message. If you're going to tweet something, this is it. This is what I believe Paul is telling us. Paul is telling us that loving people will often take the form of showing people the effects of God's love in our lives. Loving people. How do we do it? This is a discussion we have in church all the time. How do I love my neighbor? How do I love this community? How do we make a difference? What am I supposed to do? What brilliant idea can I come up with to effectively reach the lost, the hurting, and the dying? Here is an idea for you. Simply allow people to witness the transformation in your life from God's love in you. Paul says, hey, let's take this freedom that Christ has given us and let's simply show the world what free people actually look like. And as you give people a glimpse of what God's love has done in your life, you are going to see people's lives be transformed. Um, I want you to think about um, I want you to think about starting a company. Imagine for a minute you were to go out there and start a company. Imagine for a minute you then came up with the greatest product in human history. You did it. You cracked it. You came up with an idea. It is literally the greatest product in human history. Imagine then for whatever reason you come up with the worst marketing campaign in human history to go side by side with the greatest product. And now your business flops, not because you don't have the best product, but because your marketing campaign is so bad. I, uh, I don't know about you, but bad commercials irritate me to the point where I will actually stop using a product even if I like it because I hate the commercial so much. If that green lizard tells me in a British accent one more time, 15% off, I'm going to lose it, right? Um, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I want you to think then through this. This is what I'm getting at. Think through everything you have been through in your life. Think about your story. Think about your journey. Think about the hurt. Think about the hopelessness. Think about the stuff that you've walked through. And now as you look back, you realize that all of it was in God's plan. He's used it and he's worked in you and he's transformed you. And he's done all these incredible things in your life. God moved mountains. You surrendered your life. There's all this stuff going on and you have a testimony that has the ability to change lives. You have a testimony that has the ability to set other people free. Imagine now for just one minute squandering all of that just because you were rude in the grocery line at Publix, right? Being rude is like a terrible marketing campaign for a life that has been transformed and changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
it's not worth it. It seems to be such a small thing, but the effects and the consequences can actually be so great um, as we look at it. I think it's important that if we're going to love as God has prescribed, that we have some understanding of what this translated word rude actually means. The Greek word is found in many places in the New Testament and is translated in various ways. Sometimes it is translated with the word unbecoming or indecent. Love is not unbecoming. Love is not indecent. So in general, Paul is telling us that real love is a person who will not be inconsiderate. Real love is a person that will not be crude. Real love is a person that will not be rude. Um, real love is a person that will not be discourteous towards others, that it will avoid embarrassing others or putting them to shame. Real love will avoid treating people in inappropriate ways, but will treat others with dignity. Just like with arrogance, we can find examples of rudeness everywhere in Scripture. And as a matter of fact, we actually find some good examples in the book of Corinthians. Um, in 1 Corinthians, they speak about the Lord's table in chapter 11, and you can actually read that it says, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. And in worship, it was like everyone wanted to talk at once and try to outdo each other, being in the most dramatic and prominent. This is self-centered and rude behavior. So church in the beginning was all about people grabbing food first. It was all about people speaking loudly and sarcastically. No, maybe not sarcastically, but just loudly above one another, right? It sounds like Thanksgiving. But Paul says this is rude, self-centered behavior. Paul says love, true love, is not rude. And the Christians at Corinth needed this teaching, and I'm sure we can all benefit from it as well. I want to dive into a couple of scriptures today that sort of just highlight this idea of not being rude. I'll be, I'll be frank with you. When I saw this week that the sermon was going to be about not being rude, I kind of thought, well, that's going to be the first ever five-minute sermon, right? How much can there possibly be about not being rude? And you'll be astounded at how often we get back to this in Scripture constantly where Paul is addressing, let's not be rude to one another, but let's carry one another in a way that is worthy of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 32 to 33, um, it says this, Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Let me just stop here for a minute. When it says anybody, the Greek word there for anybody is in fact anybody. It means let's not cause one another to stumble no matter what we believe, no matter what our political affiliation is. Let's not cause each other to stumble. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, says Paul, but the good of many so that they might be saved. Paul says, in everything I do, I'm constantly looking for moments and for opportunities where others can experience the love and the freedom of Christ that I have experienced. Romans 15 verses 1 to 2 says this, we who are strong are to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. 
Isn't this profound? Paul is saying that in everything we do, our motivation should be to see people come to know Christ. And in everything we do, we should try to lift others up or we should try to build one another up. I think as we read this, some of us might go and look at this and go, well, maybe Paul is compromising on the truth here, right? Maybe he's not as strong as we think he is. Maybe he's saying that we can be kind because it's too difficult to be truthful. The other thing maybe we're thinking is, well, Paul is a bit of a pushover. Paul is a bit of, bit of a people pleaser. Maybe Paul is compromising on the truth here. Maybe Paul is a bit of a people pleaser here. I'll tell you, um, I'm in a Bible study right now where I'm reading through the book of Acts, and I am reading through the life of Paul. Paul is the original Rambo. Let me tell you that right now. This guy is a rock star. Paul gets bitten by a snake. He gets shipwrecked. He gets stoned. He gets beaten. He gets imprisoned. And he still stands for the truth. It's unbelievable what Paul endures. And actually, this week, we were reading the story where Paul finally finds himself in prison again. He's been beaten. He's been shamed. Um, they're going to persecute him. He's going to probably go to death row. All kinds of different things happening to Paul. Paul basically starts to worship. God breaks the jail cell open, y'all. Like, Holy Spirit, kaboom, explosion. Jail cell breaks open. Paul gets out of there like Andy from Shawshank Redemption. He's got visions of a beach in his mind. He's like, baby, I'm on my way to Greece. It's almost summertime. Bailing out of there. And next thing you know, he turns around, and the soldier that was watching him is about to kill himself with his sword. This dude has just had a bad run. You know what I mean? They've shifted him from department to department. Um, <laughs> they finally were like, you know what? Let's put him in the dungeon downstairs. He's not interacting with a lot of people. He's got one job to do. Here's your job. Make sure the jail doesn't fall apart. Okay, good job, little Johnny. Um, literally on his shift, the prison explodes, right? I feel like I relate to this God more than anybody else. Okay, so the jail exploded. Okay, so how am I going to explain this one, right? Bible says that Paul turns around, sacrifices his own freedom to go save the jailer that was keeping him in jail. Paul preaches the gospel to this man, and this man gets saved, right? So when we are talking about Paul, when we are talking about a man that is about conviction, when we talk about a man that's filled with strength, this is a whole different ballgame. Paul was not weak, and Paul did not need anything from anybody. But Paul understood that the way he carried himself, the way he conducted himself, the way he was in a place where he would not show rudeness towards people, Paul understood that ultimately the mission was always to get people to the place where they could experience the gospel. Romans 12 verse 17 reads, do what is honorable in the sight of all men. Do what is honorable in the sight of all men. John Calvin comments on Romans 12, 17 saying, what is meant is that we ought to diligently to labor in order that all may be edified by our honest dealings, that they may, in a word, perceive the good and sweet odor of our life, by which they may be allured to the love of God. We are called to allure people, to attract people, to show people the effects of the love of God in our own life. As I was thinking about this all week long, it dawned upon me that the opposite of being rude 
can be found in being respectful, being courteous, and being gracious. Don't you feel like respect has just been lost in general? I just, I just feel like it's a lost art, respect. I just, somewhere along this journey, we have just said goodbye to respect as a culture. And it's like, we don't quite understand what that looks like anymore. And I'll tell you what, when you actually see it in action, it is the most beautiful and it is the most attractive thing you will ever see. I grew up during a time where respect, it was all about respect. I remember my dad, if I was sitting in a chair and a lady walked into a room and I did not stand up, my dad would make sure that I could never stand up again after that moment, right? You stood up when a lady came into a room. I remember I, used, I walked into the house one time with like this backwards cap. I had this cool cap and I turned it backwards and I had sunglasses on. And I came into the house. I was like, yo, daddy-o. Uh, <laughs> I did not say the yo, daddy-o, but I did have the cap on. My dad was immediately like, is, is the sun bright in this room? Take the hat off. Take the sunglasses off. It's not respectful behavior. I remember growing up in South Africa, there was a time between 2 o'clock and 5 o'clock p.m. on a Sunday afternoon where you were not allowed to make a phone call. Cha-tring, cha-tring. You could not phone or telephone your girlfriend because it was rude. It was disrespectful to phone someone between 2 and 5 on a Sunday afternoon because they might be taking a nap or having tea and crumpets. Who knows, Right. But respect was a big deal. Um, one time, my dad and my mom went to take a nap Sunday afternoon. They basically said to us, here's the deal. You and your brother are going to respectfully and quietly play by yourselves in your rooms while we take a nap. Now, let me explain to you my room. No iPad, no iPhone, no TV, no Netflix, no nothing. A He-Man doll where the one arm was ripped off, um, two sticks and a tennis ball with a smiley face. That was my room, right? So my brother and I are sort of playing quietly with one another and we kind of laugh a little bit. My dad actually comes down and says, and he says, you're playing too loud by yourselves in the room while I'm trying to, what? Are you, ki are you kidding? Vanessa came into my room last night, kicked the door and she's like, yo, get up, all right? I'm just like, my dad's like, play softer for five hours while we're sleeping. Be respectful. I got so upset, I started crying. He came down a second time and said, cry softer. <laughs> cry softer? I could send my parents to jail right now for that, that kind of behavior, right? But I think back and I'm just like, man, we've lost the art of just being respectful to one another. If you're respectful, you show consideration and regard for someone or something. Respect is the adjective form of the common word respect, which means a feeling of admiration. So when you behave in a way that is respectful, you're doing something to show admiration for another person. Isn't that just absolutely beautiful, that definition of what respect is? When we respect people, even those that look different to us, even those that believe different to us, we're literally finding ways of admiring people, of building people up when we act in a way that is courteous, that is gracious, and that is respectful. I was reading a story 
that I just feel really sort of summarizes this idea of respect in such a beautiful way. A man named Hudson Taylor was a missionary who went to Asia. Um, he was from Britain. And as he got there, his whole mission, his whole goal was basically to convert people. He wanted the message of the gospel to resonate. He wanted to get out there and preach the truth. After quite some time, he realized that he just wasn't being effective at all. And the reason he wasn't being effective was he, he was too separated from the people he was trying to reach. So in an effort to show respect to the culture, he, he completely transformed who he was. He changed the way he dressed. He changed the food that he ate. He learned the language. He started using chopsticks instead of knives and forks. He changed his haircut, apparently. He would even, when he went for walks with his wife, he would walk three steps in front of her, and she would walk behind him because within the culture, that was a sign of respect. And as he started showing respect and dignity and grace to the people he was trying to reach, his life had a great, great impact, and he was a great, great missionary. We are called to live lives that are respectful lives. Let's look into some more scriptures here. Um, we're, we're almost done this morning. Colossians 4, verses 5 to 6. Paul says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Again, this idea of people that don't think the same way we do, this idea of people that don't believe the same way we do, man, I'll tell you what, I don't think that this has ever actually been more relevant because there's so much hurt and there's so much division and there's so much hate. Um, this is such a beautiful country. This is such an incredible place. This is such an amazing place to be. And it breaks my heart, I'll be honest with you, when I see just the amount of just ugh, ugliness that goes on sometimes. And I believe that as Christians, God has empowered us to be the ones that can make the difference. God has put us in a place where we can truly show what love is. We can truly show what respect is. We can truly show what dignity is. Colossians, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Isn't that just absolutely beautiful? Let's see every conversation as an opportunity. Let's see every moment as another moment where we can showcase the love of God in our own lives. 1 Peter 2 verse 17 says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Family? Dom Toretto? Um, Sorry, I apologize. I told Vanessa I would say Dom Toretto if the word family came up in the sermon today. Um, <laughs> show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Listen to this. Honor the emperor. Little, little caveat here. This is the emperor that was slaughtering Christians. Honor the emperor, he says. It's all about respect. It's all about dignity. It's all about how we carry ourselves. Romans 12 verses 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Again, always comes back to this. Philippians 2 verses 4. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So live our lives in a way where we show love and interest to others. John MacArthur says it this way. He says, love is much more than being gracious and considerate but it is never less than that. 
to the extent that our living is ungracious and inconsiderate, it is also unloving and unchristian. Self-righteous rudeness by Christians can turn people away from Christ before they have a chance to hear the gospel. The messenger can become a barrier to the message. If people do not see the gentleness of Christ, they are less likely to see him in the gospel we preach. I'm going to ask that the band come to the front right now at this time. Um, I find it very interesting that if you go through that verse in Corinthians, it says that love is not rude, and then immediately the next thing it says is that love is selfless. Love is not selfish. I firmly believe that the root, the heart, the foundation of all our rudeness is found in selfishness. It is when we don't get our own way. It is when we feel like people are pressing our buttons. It's when we feel like our rights and our things are being infringed upon that rudeness will most often come to the forefront. It is in that mindset of being selfless that we will actually be in a place where we can be respectful and courteous and gracious. I, um, over the last year or so, I've been asking myself a lot of questions just around the kind of man that I want to be and a lot of questions just around what kind of a church I want this to be. And I think one of the things that I've come to realize is that so often in life when we think about what success looks like, we think about winning, right? It's always attached to winning. It's always attached to bringing home the gold. That's how I was raised. That's how I understand things. It's always about getting your point of view across. It's about winning the argument, winning the day. It's about getting the dream job. It's about getting the dream house. It's about getting to the church that you envision you want to get. It's about doing anything necessary in order to ultimately win the prize. And we've got this attitude that it doesn't matter how we get there as long as we get there. And once we get there, once we win, everything else somehow is justified. And I want to tell you, I just don't think that's how it works in the kingdom. I don't think that's what the gospel is all about. I don't think the gospel is so much about winning and losing. I think it's about the people we are when we get there. It's when we get there. It's when the moment arrives, right? It's when the significant moment arrives. Man, it can go one or two ways. You can win gold or you can fall out. I don't know. Life is strange sometimes. But who are you when everything else is done? What are you looking at in a mirror? Are you a person of integrity? Are you a person that glorifies Christ? Are you a person that is respectful? Are you a person of humility? Are you a servant? Who are you at the end of the day? And when I look at the life of Christ, man, he just, he just shifts every paradigm in such a big way, right? Here we see Jesus come on the scene and he gets a group of followers and he's this unbelievable leader and he's got this unbelievable movement. Jesus' story ends with him on a cross between two thieves. It's shameful. His, his, his whole thing is a disaster. The disciples are scattered. The movement is done. Everything has been thrown into question. In the natural, in the secular, in the flesh, Jesus loses. He loses everything so that we can be one. He lets go of everything so that we might be saved, right? He, he absolutely allows himself to lose the race in that sense so that each and every single one of us can win. 
And there is something so beautiful about that. There is something so strong about that. There is something so lost about that. And we know the rest of the story. We know that Jesus rises. We know that he overcomes death. We know that he overcomes the grave. But man, there is such a beautiful example there of Christ just understanding that, hey, it's not about me always winning the moment. It's not about me winning every conversation. It's not about me always having the upper hand. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's about me coming last. Sometimes it's about me not qualifying at all so that someone else can benefit. And it's, it's really beautiful. I did not cry in the first service, so I don't know what's happening right now. Um, let's stand in this place. Don't want my mascara to run this morning. <laughs> Let's close our eyes in this place. Father, we want to thank you this morning just for who you are. Lord, we are just, I'm so overwhelmed, Lord, by just your goodness in our lives. Thank you, Father, that you will put yourself second if you need to so that we can win. I thank you, Lord, that you had to taste death. You had to taste separation. You were flogged. You were embarrassed. You were humiliated. You were crucified. You were put through excruciating pain so that we might have life, and so that we might have life abundantly. Father, I want to I declare this morning that, Lord, we're, we're guilty, all of us. We've, we're rude at times. We're sarcastic at times. We're selfish at times. We show disrespect to others. We don't even show our own families the kind of love that we should at times. But, Father, I pray this morning, and I thank you that there is forgiveness for all of us in Jesus. But, Lord, I also pray this morning that as we just look to Christ as we just sink into His great love for us, that you will make us people of compassion. You will make us people of respect. You will make us people that are humble. You will make us people that are dignified. You will make us people that help to treat others in a way that is worthy of the gospel and worthy of your love. So, Father, I want to thank you this morning for each story in this place such incredible stories of redemption and freedom. Um, But Father, now I pray that you will help us walk in that freedom. Help us live in that love. Help us treat others the way you would treat us and the way you desire us to treat others. Father, we thank you for this today. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.